Hello and welcome to another episode of Must See Matches. I am, as always, uh, your sort of de facto host, uh, Kieran Lefort, and joining me as ever is the smart one behind Must See Matches, uh, Mark Buckledeep. Mark, how's it going this week? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Uh, nothing to complain about. Nothing to report. Nothing to report, nothing to complain about, all good. Excellent. Okay, well, let's get straight into it then. The match we're talking about this week is Kenta Kobashi versus Mitsuhara Misawa from October the 31st, 1998, day 18 of the fabulously named Giant Series. Uh, and to help us through uh, what is an admitted sort of shameful blind spot for the pair of us um, uh, is a man from post-wrestling and most importantly for the next hour maybe uh the host of a and a classic all japan pro wrestling podcast the long and winding royal road wh park is here wh nice to meet you how you doing well thank you karen nice to meet you too of course i know mark i've met mark in person yep. mark has done work at post wrestling he's been on my podcast so it's uh i'm good i'm, I'm very excited to be doing the show with you guys we met in Osaka of all places it's true it was a hot and muggy day <laughs> in fact the one day i spent in osaka was a hot and muggy day as well <laughs> i think it's just uh it's the the climate of the city isn't it well, it's, particularly it's, in summer right yeah i mean yeah. japan is just humid in general in summer yeah. but because osaka is more south yes it's it's much hotter than say even, even like tokyo is like oppressively hot as well in the summer but mm. i think osaka might be even more so but i love osaka more than tokyo because mm. the food is better I, I I really want to go again. Like I only got a chance to go for a day before, uh, and so I want to. I'd like to, you know, at least spend a week there at some point. I think. Oh yeah, you got to go to Donterbury and yeah, and, and eat takoyaki and, and, and uh, takoyaki is one of my favorite foods. So <laughs> I eat it all. <laughs> um, uh, let's start with a kind of a, a, an important question. Given you have a podcast about it, kind of like what is your relationship to classic all Japan? Like when did it first enter your life and so like how much did it kind of seep into you? I think probably sometime in like the the the, the mid mid nineties mm -hmm. to is like I discovered it through uh, probably one of the after mags. I like just reading like who the champions across the worlds were. I think that was like an inside wrestling. And then what, what's this place called all Japan pro wrestling? Oh, wait, Steve Williams and Terry Gordy work there. Mm -hmm. Who, who's Jumbo Saruta? Who's Jenichiro Tenru? And then later on, who's Mitsuhara Misawa and Toshiaki Kawada. And then I finally started getting into tape trading. And one of the tapes I got was a kind of a, a potpourri of, of a, of Japanese wrestling, New mm. Japan Junior Heavyweight Wrestling, uh, Michinoku Pro, and of course, a lot of it was uh, filled with All Japan Heavyweight matches with the likes of Misawa, Kobashi, uh, Toshiaki Kawada, Kiritawa, Stan Hansen, and, and, and mm -hmm. the, the rest of the of that crew. The, uh, the the usual suspects of yes. All Japan, yeah, yeah. And I uh, fell in love with that style just because, like, it was it was so different from American wrestling, mm. which was uh, you know pretty cartoony in both WCW and WWF. Yes, and I was just like looking for something different in my fandom at that time, and th this in Japan delivered it even more than say like New Japan heavyweight wrestling, which I like as well. But mm. I just felt more drawn to All Japan heavyweight mm. wrestling. That's interesting because I, I, I a fairly similar story in that I I think I was. 13 when i bought my first like non wwf slash wcw vhs tape uh via a tape trader and again it was a compilation of uh a compilation of like japanese tv of like the, the summer of 92 i think 
Um, and I was drawn in the opposite direction. I was much more interested in the New Japan stuff than the All Japan stuff. I think possibly because it moved a bit faster and like, you know, at 13 years old, that was more interesting to me, I think. And it also contains names I knew that had been mentioned on WCW television. So while I've seen some some All Japan of the 90s, like I've never really got into it. Uh, Mark, how about you? What's your uh, what's your history with the Royal Road? Well, I was never a tape trader. I was a I was basically came in at the DVD age, basically. Mm. Um, so young. And for me, it was kind of, I stumbled into all Japan because I f- came across Noah, which I came across because I was a big Ring of Honor fan um, mm. a few years into my uh, wrestling fandom. So it was kind of, but I'm also a guy that I don't usually go back and watch too much old wrestling. I don't know why, especially if I know a match is going to be a bit long it kind of puts me off mm. kind of i'm happy watching an hour long match if i don't know it's going to be an hour going into it but if, <laughs> but if i know it's going 40 minutes going an hour i kind of i'm a little bit hesitant to put that time in which is yeah. kind of why a lot of the the bigger all japan matches that go longer i've not seen because it's just that little bit of he- uh, reticence and had but, you seen had you seen this one before this week <laughs> nope no same here i have obviously obviously seen both of these guys before against each other uh and teaming up like i've even seen them live uh against each other against each other um in a tag situation um but yeah coventry wasn't it it was indeed coventry yes um yeah. i think i've said i was there as well yeah yes yeah um and I've seen Kabashi one more time as well, also in the same building. <laughs> he seems to love coming to Coventry for some reason. Um, so this obviously is not their first and would not be their last confrontation. So kind of what is the, if you're able to fill in at all, WH, like what is the like the history? How do we get to this point? So you have to understand in the, the kind of their their history starting from like entering the of the all japan dojo so masawa is basically of his generation the first guy to enter the dojo mm-hmm. soon following him is toshiaki kawada and akira tawe and then it's kind of kobashi he's kind of like the the pup of the four pillars that you know that's what they would eventually be be called um and he is, you know, like he is famously known for losing, I think, the first like three years of his <laughs> career. Like Baba had a very, you know, Giant Baba, the promoter of and booker of All Japan Pro Wrestling, had a very, you know, very, you know, set philosophy about how you start off in wrestling. And that is you are going to be humbled as yeah. a wrestler. You are not mm-hmm. going to get wins right off out of the gate as a rookie you are um, and there's it's very rare that that happens in japanese wrestling in general mm. but he was very he was so he's very old school giant baba so he you know kobashi he saw a lot in him but he was like he's gonna lose a mm. lot and he's just gonna he's gonna earn everything and but you know with that comes like you know like even in loss like his fighting spirit is always shining through even mm. as a rookie so mm. people got behind him really early in his career and by the time he gets to the point where he's partners with Misawa and then he's rivals with Misawa the people are loving him as much as they love Mitsuhara Misawa who is considered the ace of all Japan of the 90s uh following you know the, the you know the, the, the kind of the you know phasing out of Jumbo Suruta and his untimely death 
mm. as well. Um, but their history is basically he's Masawa's kohai, which means his his apprentice. Masawa is the senpai; he's the senior. Mm-hmm. So, in, in a lot of respects, so they're facing each other early in their careers. Like their first match, uh, recorded match, is March 6, nineteen ninety. This is during the time when when Mr. Masawa is under the Tiger Mask gimmick, following uh, Satoru Sayama selling it to to mm-hmm. or the parent comp- the company who owns IP selling it to to Giant Baba for yeah, use. It's complicated, like licensing issues and contracts, isn't it? Rather yeah. than you know actual interesting wrestling stuff. So so you know Masawa as Tiger Mask wins that match. That's a fifteen about a fifteen minute match. The and then their next kind of encounters with each other are during the champion carnival mostly because by the time like the early nineties rolls around, they are now in the same, uh, uh, unit, the same uh, faction called Mm -hmm. the the super generation army. And they are usually opposed to Jumbo Sarita's army, the Sarita gun, which Mm -hmm. consists of him and Akira Tawe, Masanobu Fuchi, and I think at some point Yoshinari Ogawa. And on the Super Generation Army, you have Misawa as the leader. Toshiaki Wakawada is his second in command and his regular tag partner, and they win the the the, the world tag team titles multiple times. Uh, but Kobashi is like their their kind of lieutenant in mm. six man tag matches, and usually Kobashi is in the all Asia tag team title scene with uh, his regular partner at that time, which is Siyoshi Kikuchi, mm-hmm. and they're fantastic. Amazing we will, tag team. Uh, we will get into them uh, 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 in another episode of this podcast a long time from now. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times, so Misawa will face Kobashi in Champion Carnival, which is their annual tournament, mm-hmm. similar to New Japan's G1 Climax. So April 5th, 1991, Misawa wins in 13 minutes. April 12th, 1993, Misawa wins in 21 minutes. Uh, March 26th, 1995. Masao wins in 22 minutes. So as you know, as yeah. they progress, Masao always wins because Masao yeah. is the chosen one. But it takes longer and longer for him to defeat Kobashi yeah, yeah. in these the matches. The is holding on longer and longer. Yeah, and when we get to like October 25th, 1995, this is by this time Masao has finally become Triple Crown champion himself, and he defends the title against Kobashi. Um, and that to, that's about a 36 minute match. Uh, and then the next time they meet is in 1996, March 31st. Again, Champion Carnival. Masao wins in 24 minutes. Uh, next time they meet, January 20th, 1997. This is probably, I would say, even more than the match we're going to talk about. This is probably their most f- famous match in mm. the sense of like, I think I I personally prefer this match to the one we're going to talk about. I, like, I love the match sure, we're going to sure. talk about, but I prefer this one a little bit more. Uh, but that's Triple Crown Championship match from January 20th, 97. And Masawa um, beats Kobashi to win the Triple Crown in 42 minutes in that match. And then... Um, so just quickly, that match is also going to be covered in the podcast. So that got more votes than this one did. So... But you got uh, a lot of people so sharing my one. <laughs> Exactly. Mm. Um, they're... Uh, continuing up until we get here then the next time they'll meet is april 19th 1997 and that's a champion carnival uh finals round robin match it's a very unique 
way of booking things that that, that Baba did for that. that was that the year carnival? where they basically had like a three way draw at the top of yes. the tournament? Yes. Yeah, and this is you know the word Ka- Kawada. We don't do three get... ways in all Japan in 1997. This is how we figure it out. Yeah, this is how we figure it. Rob Robin, but that's a 30 minute time limit draw. Um, so it's the first time that you know Misawa doesn't beat Kobashi. Mm. In a singles match, so that's kind of significant there. Uh, following that, October twenty first, nineteen ninety seven, uh, triple crown title match. Masao is the champion, defending against Kobashi. He wins in thirty two minutes and fifty five seconds. And this brings us to nineteen ninety eight, which we're going to talk about. I I can continue past this to the, the, <laughs> the next if you or you want me to say that to the to the end of the the match. We're going to talk about. It's up to you guys. Uh, yeah, no, no, we'll, uh, I think we'll, we'll continue chronologically afterwards. Uh, before we get to the match itself, Mark, I wanted to ask if you've got any kind of like uh, uh, stats for the um, for these two. Like how many times do we see them? How many, how many times are we going to have to talk about them? And how many times are they against each other on the, on the, the 104? Uh, so in the 104, uh, Misawa has seven matches that we'll be covering and mm-hmm. five of them involve uh, Kenta Kabashi. And three of them are singles matches. Mm, wow. Uh, Kabashi has a whopping nine matches on this podcast, and nearly 9% of this whole list is <laughs> Kenta Kabashi matches. Wow. Um, both guys had over 20 different matches uh, nominated. And the other big wow thing about these two are um, so basically, they, their first match chronologically and last match chronologically that we'll be covering on the podcast, there's a 13-year gap for Misawa and a 14-year gap for Kabashi, which is a quite a it's an example of how good they were for how long. It was mm. quite a long jump because the only guys that are, um, had more than that were the likes of Shawn Michaels, Brian Danielson, and for some weird reason, The Undertaker, uh, who is obviously the lesser of those five that we've just mentioned. Yes, but like, but but wrestling's most enduring character. Yeah, like it's 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 I don't know. It's less about the it's less about the work and more about the character when it comes to the Undertaker. I think. Yeah. So the the weird thing is, all Japan. I mean, compared to say New Japan, New Japan has a lot more matches that were nominated for hmm. uh, this project. So New Japan had over a hundred. All Japan had sixty four, and five of those were in the post Noah split period. Mm. But if you look at the number of matches in the top 104, 10% of the list is all Japan matches. Uh, two from the 1980s and the rest are from the 1990s. And all of those eight matches from the 90s have either Misawa in it or Kabashi in it. <laughs> so it kind of shows how important those guys were to all Japan in that decade. And cynically, how little it changed in that decade. Um, it, it, I would say it changed a little bit because you had uh, a bit of variety. You had some tag matches in there. Yeah. Uh, you have uh, the likes of Jumbo turns up, uh, Fuchi turns up, Kikuchi turns up. Hmm. Uh, a certain tag team, because you know what match uh, Kobashi and Kikuchi are involved yeah. in, they turn up as well. So. Yeah, we've got some good stuff to look forward to. Marvelous. Uh, is it, uh, so that was WH gave us the 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 broad history. Is there any kind of more contemporary sort of localized history to this match as well? So, like, is it is this just like 
another defense on the road for Kobashi, or has there been is this uh, like the uh, Misawa's prize for winning the tournament or anything like that? I think at this point, by like 1998, this is like Kobashi is on a level mm. with Misawa. Like he he's considered, you know, like not on an, an ace figure yet, mm. but he's getting there. And if you understand the behind the scenes stuff in all Japan at the time, this is the point where like more and more Masao is getting p- power backstage. Mm. And he himself did not want to necessarily always be on top because his body is breaking down because of the hard style of working the all Japan style for the last eight years has taken yeah. toll on his body. But he, he, he always wanted Kobashi to succeed him. And you, you see this, this philosophy play out in pressing Noah when he is asked, you know, the mm. owner and booker of that mm. company, he doesn't put, he doesn't make himself the ace necessarily that company the, 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 I would say the greatest champion, uh, the greatest GHC champion history is Kobashi. And that's because Masao booked yeah. him to be so um, here. We see that the, you have to keep in mind also that the chase is always the most important thing in Japanese wrestling. Sure. Not so much, the the destination the journey is more important than destination usually so kobashi not being able to beat masawa is a story in of itself and mm. it this is it's it, it's driving the you know the all japan fan base into a frenzy anytime they meet in a singles match because they really really want to see this happen but they still love masawa so mm. if, if he wins it's okay too it's the same thing with kawada with toshiaki kawada but here at this point it's like Kawada's not going to be the ace of this company mm. following masawa it's going to be kobashi and you know this because they because kobashi no sorry kawada and masawa have real life heat with one another mm. and baba has had heat like with kawada because of his philosophies about wrestling differed from baba's a bit at the time like he wanted to do more outside bringing outsiders and mm. bob was a very you know insular booker he's a, a closed shop kind of guy yes yeah so so in the context of the match we're going to talk about this is you know kobashi is the defending champion mm. so this is a point in 1998 where it's like okay there is a very very strong possibility that he will turn back the tide of the challenge of masao's masao's challenge to the triple crown because he's got to be the guy that they're going to build as high as they do with Misawa, you know, because he's, he's earned it. Mm. He's had so many amazing matches at this point. And he's not at that point where he's like that, you know, still the, the scrappy underdog anymore. He's the guy that's like the, the, the top dog in the yard now. No, I don't know if I could ever call a man as large and mean looking as Kent Kobashi a scrappy underdog like at this point. <laughs> Watch his mid-90s match, early yeah. 90s and mid-90s matches with Stan Hansen, you'll know what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a slightly different proposition, isn't it? Um, I he's, One of the things about Kent Kobashi is I always forget how fucking big he is until I watch him wrestle again. Yeah, I mean... He, he always looks like he's got slightly too much meat on his bones. I think and it's just about holding it together. Yeah, the, the the I think the story is that like when the Road Warriors came to all Japan, mm. they took him under their wing in terms of training and workouts mm. and it it paid off for him because he <laughs> he became very like, you know, Road Warrior animal like in his in how yeah. thick he became. Yeah. Mm. He is a heavy heavyweight. You talked about uh like even though the crowds want Kobashi to to finally like topple Misawa, uh, but how much they still love Misawa, that's very much borne out here with like, the, I mean the, the the 
the concept of the dueling chant is not new, but like these mesh together so much. It's obviously everybody in the building, like 50-50, and they basically become Kobawa and Misashi chants as they like blending <laughs> together. Um uh the other thing you mentioned was like how hard the style is. Like I one of my notes is that these two do not protect it seem to protect each other in any way whatsoever if the next thing is an elbow to the face you are getting an elbow to the face and you have to take it if if i'm gonna send on you then you lay there and you take my full body weight when i sent on you like it was um it, it was eye-opening after watching a lot of much lighter modern wrestling where you know we like you know the the old modern wrestling he says about to make a jeff hardy reference uh, that like the jeff hardy swanton bomb is the back of the heads to the chest well not these days it's not i suppose but you know what i mean like you, yeah you you take great care to 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 do as little damage to your opponent as possible these do no it's it's just it really is just a fight with a predetermined outcome pretty much um, yeah, I, I mean, noticed they really laid it in in some I, places. I, I think you also have to keep in mind that they have a lot of trust in their training. Mm. Yeah. They're they're from the same dojo system. They know what they did to get to that point in in their careers, like how they've you know like conditioned their bodies. Like one of the big things in Japanese wrestling, and I, I share I'm sure in wrestling all over the world, but maybe more so in Japanese is is, is neck conditioning. Yes, mm. that is so so important, and, and you you realize why when you watch any any Japanese match, especially from all Japan in the '90s with all the head drops and spiking maneuvers and, and, mm. and like the tiger driver 91 and the backdrop driver and things like that but they 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 they're they're comfortable with doing they don't they they that's the philosophy of yeah. you know the royal road is to hit each other as hard as possible not to because you know to, to stiff each other but because we want to show like you know we we we're presenting a real fight to you the audience we want we're not like american wrestling we're not lucha libre we are a uh, form of wrestling that is more realistic than mm. others to, you know, good, good, good or bad, you know, you know, you can take it either way. I love it. Like mm. I, I understand the dangers of it and the, t and the toll it has on these people's bodies because like I followed this, their sure. careers, you know? <laughs> so I, I still love it because it's at this, at the end of the day, that's they, if you ask them, would you change anything? None of them are going to say yes. They're all going to say no, nothing. I guess they also know each other very well. They know each other's like style and power, and they know they know how much each other can take. So Masao knows exactly how much to give that forearm that it's gonna look real, but not actually knock Kobashi out, for example, um, and that kind of thing. Um, the story of this match to me seemed largely to be that Kobashi had an answer for everything in Misawa's arsenal until he didn't anymore, and. It was everything from simple stuff like blocking the elbows to maintaining the hold on an arm through an arm drag. Mm. Uh, like he, he stopped a hammerlock reversal chain at one point by just getting his other arm up and trying to turn it into a chicken wing. So Misawa like can't turn to get to get the next hammerlock. Um, uh, or like later on, he recognizes that a German suplex hasn't had full effect and he's ready with, uh, with a sleeper when Misawa charges at him. And I, I really like that aspect of it. Um, uh, and I'm someone who often struggles to find the story in a match, it must be said. Oh, same here. It was like I, when I uh, watched this match for a second time this week, I went through, 
I've actually color coded my uh, my notes basically of who's on top for which period <laughs> uh, because for me one of the stories of this the story of this match was Kabashi is champion he's confident but he also knows that Masao is a massive threat so basically everything he's doing is trying to avoid giving Masao the opportunity to do damage hmm. uh, even when Masao gets attacks in. Even when Masawa goes for a comeback, Kabashi's quickly there to cut him off. Even when, like, as you say, with the the sleeper, there's elements where, like, Masawa will get a big move in and then suddenly here's Kabashi again because it's like, you're hitting one on me, I'm not letting you chain these uh, attacks together. So it's this story and it works incredibly well throughout the match. Uh, it, it seemed quite similar in that respect to the uh, Tanahashi Okada match we covered a few weeks ago um, in that the periods of control were not like dead cutoffs. So like a yeah. guy would get a move in, but that wouldn't necessarily mean he was on top for the next five minutes. The other one would still have a little bit of fight in him until he was worn down enough to be, uh, uh, to be taken over on essentially. Um, well, for me is one of the things that I take away from this is like the, the structure of the match. It starts off with them just, it's basically a filling out process. Mm -hmm. They're going to go for like their signature moves, but like Kobashi has, has an answer blocking elbows, you know, reversing like this and that from Masao. And the same thing with Masao, he blocks the chops. He, he reverses various moves from Kobashi until the point where one of them makes mistake. That's, that's mm. the point where, you know, I think, I think Masawa gets the, the, uh, no, it's, it's Kobashi who goes for the early control segments. Basically, uh, as I recall, he's going for the control of Masawa's left arm, which, by yeah. the way, is not his elbow arm. But I think at this point, he knows like Masawa is very careful not to let people, you know, get get control and work over his his elbow arm, which is his right arm. Mm. So Kobashi goes after the next best thing, which is his left arm, which means like then that's the arm he uses to brace people's heads mm. as he mm. launches his elbow at them. He needs that to help him spin to do his spinning elbow. So going after his left arm is a smart move on Kobashi's part because he's like, okay, I'm not, I'm gonna have a really tough time getting getting control of his right arm, but his left arm should be easier to get, and then mm. that's still gonna weaken his elbow offense against me. You mentioning that reminds me of a brilliant little thing that I noticed where there's a Kibash there's a, it's near the beginning. Kabashi's laid in a couple of chops uh, and Misao's like, okay, right, it's time for an elbow. And he goes with his left arm to grab the back of the head. And Kabashi almost does like a like a competition martial artist block to knock that arm away. And I really like that. And it may it sort of made Misawa think twice about, okay, maybe this isn't the best is this isn't the best move at this moment. Um Misawa's offense. I haven't watched him for a long time. It's a very odd mishmash of stuff for a guy his size and shape. Like there's the elbows you expect. There's the tiger drivers and the and and, and like big moves like that. He still has a lot of leftover flying from Tiger Mask. Yeah, like he there's um uh, there's um a, a weirdly graceful, almost one two three kid like somersault body block off the top rope, which I wasn't ready for at all. So you have to keep in mind, like his his excursion overseas mm. was to Mexico. I see. And mm. he started off as a junior heavyweight, mm. and he loved being a junior heavyweight. So mm. even when he, even though he knows, like to be you know a main event guy to make the most money in wrestling in Japan, you have to be a heavyweight. As he transitions and gains more weight and more muscle mass, he still wants to incorporate as much junior heavyweight mm. wrestling, flying wrestling 
as he as he can because he loved that style. And I would say for his his size, like in in that era, like he is probably one of the most agile. I'd say like Keiji Muto is another person mm. that is a heavyweight that can still is very agile as a <laughs> flyer. Um, mm. There were some moments where he was oddly graceful in this match, that in particular, and the, he do, he has his trademark um, uh, flip over the ropes to the apron. Yeah, uh, that that he does a lot, and like in this one, it was it was it seemed far too graceful for for him to be doing. He has amazing body control. Yeah, like, he that's does. One thing he does. It really surprised me. Watching a lot of his matches, his, mm. his the the amount of control he has over his own body and like how he's able to like use like everything to like to do to, you know his elbow suicida mm. his planches mm. uh, like missile drop kicks whatever is is incredible it's uh it is telling that when misawa gets his first big control segment in this match it's because of the aerial stuff it's because mm. he's throwing the drop kicks in it's because he's using uh the somersault sent on as you mentioned you've got the the corkscrew clothesline which is uh it is something special that uh, corkscrew clothesline that um, Masawa hits. Yeah, would you say the body control WH is fantastic? Well, he spins like it, it's amazing. Yeah. He hits, he hits it, and he, and he spins like yeah. Mid, it's an impact. So he's not spinning into it. It's it's a spin he does uh, from the impact of hitting it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yes, it, it's something I like. He's what like you know in terms of pounds, he's like two forty probably yeah. at this yeah. point. Is that's not a light person. So no. it's it's amazing. And, and he's 35 as well at this point, I think. Yeah, like so, 35, 36, and Kabashi's 31, I think, at this yeah. point. Yeah. Um, there's a spot, well, there were several. The first spot in this match that almost made me wretch was Kabashi cross-corner whips Misawa, who puts his foot on the middle uh, turnbuckle to stop the momentum, and Kabashi just barrels okay. full body into his back. And it wasn't... <laughs> What he did, it was the noise it make made. It was this very heavy, wet splat sound, and it looks like because it was so it's so kind of like uncommon in terms of a regular wrestling spot. Like it mm. just it made me feel slightly ill watching it. Uh, there are other ones that made me feel sick later on. Um, I, I love to, that spot. I love that spot yeah, because yeah. it makes it look this match look so real. Yes, exactly. And also, it's perfectly logical because. Uh, Masawa does that sort of uh, use the turnbuckle to spring off into an elbow mm. and twice Kabashi spots that spot and cuts it off before Masawa can do it which again plays into the story of Kabashi knows Masawa he knows he can't afford to let Masawa get that momentum and get those big shots in mm. as a video production person who has worked in video production there is one moment I need to camera work I need to call out uh, so Kabashi avoids a dive. Misawa has to settle for just kind of elbowing him on the floor. And as Kabashi tries to return to the ring, we cut to what must have been the father of a RevPro cameraman <laughs> as the bottom half of uh, Misawa goes running across the frame and disappears. And then we hear a crash as somebody hits the railings and we never find out what happened. <laughs> it, seemed, yeah. it seemed oddly amateurish for, for, for this rare. kind of setup and production. Yeah, very rare. Yeah. I think for those fans who are really familiar with Misawa's match structures, you know that what he did was a They'd baseball slide. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, but so. it was it was just it was jarring and slightly hilarious to me. 
Oh, I'm sure that that cameraman got a talking to from both yeah. like Nippon TV and from Giant Baba later yeah. on, you know. So. <laughs> so we talked about them like knowing each other's stuff. And as the match goes on, as I think Mark brought up earlier, it's less a single reversal. It is a guy will have a counter to a counter, which was something else I really liked about it. Uh, so um, I think uh, Kabashi goes for uh, a powerbomb. Uh, uh, Misawa goes to turn it into a Rana, but Kobashi is ready and just kind of steps forward, turning it into a Boston Crab version variation. Um, hmm. uh, they do stuff like that several times, uh, which I enjoyed. Um, there is a bit where um, uh, Misawa almost gets dumped on his head as Kobashi backdrops his way out of a Tiger Driver, hits a German suplex, and as Kobashi tries to rush back from it with a flying shoulder block, like. Uh, Misawa is there to bat him out of midair with an elbow. Oh, that's such a good spot, especially because Kabashi's already done that desperate shoulder tackle once in the match, and it's mm. like Misawa's a case of, okay, uh, if he's going to do that, I'll throw this. So it's that again, that kind of natural progression. And as I say, as I said, second time I watch this, I'm just going through, and it's like, well, okay, that's playing off this. Um, mm. Okay, that's. That's more of this. So it's a fantastic match to actually go back through and just pay real attention to because the details there, the, mm. the attention to detail from these guys in terms of the story they're telling is utterly fantastic. And it's a kind of, this is wrestling storytelling where you don't need a fancy stipulation. You don't need staring at your hands. You don't need <laughs> uh promo led elements. It's like, You've just got two guys in a ring and what they're doing is telling you this fantastic story. And the fans know the story because they've been yep. following both these guys' careers. They've Everyone in Budokan Hall, which is where this match is taking place, has probably seen every one of their singles matches that mm. has been televised or they've been there live if they if they go to Budokan Hall regularly or Corkin Hall. Mm. So they they know like how well they know each other. And what, what kind of thing I like about this match as well is is like their their strategy, like both these guys, both Masao and Kobashi, is not okay. I'm gonna this is what I'm gonna work on. It's it's more opportunistic. It's mm. like mm. there's an opening, and then they say that's what I'm gonna go for. So you know, at some point, Masao does decide, okay, I'm gonna target his neck because I'm gonna my finisher, the one I'm gonna go for is the Tiger Driver 91, which is his ultra finisher at this time. He hasn't created the Emerald Flosion yet at this point in his career. And then Kobashi at some point decides I'm going to do the same thing. So I'm, cause I'm going to try to kill him with the burning hammer, which yeah. is like his super ultra rare finisher that, that he only busts out when he needs to really destroy someone to, to be able to defeat them in a match. Yeah. He, he twice threatens the burning hammer in quick succession. And both times the crowd sound excited and terrified at the prospect uh, yeah. he flips out the second one with with the help of the top rope, and Kobashi immediately clatters in with a lariat for an earful, which is another great countering the counter spot. <laughs> Kobashi hits a DDT and comes off the top to leg drop Misawa across the back of the head as he's getting up, which looks brutal. And I couldn't help but write a young John Cena takes notes. Oh, definitely, you totally know. Like I, I, I don't know if like John Cena's ever watched All Japan, but someone must have shown him that spot. Yeah, look at this guy Kobashi. You still this move, John? It's, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's like <laughs> dropping someone off the top rope under the back of their head. Well, earlier in the match, it was Kobashi got turned uh, momentum back in his favor, literally by doing nothing but that spot. Like 
two mm. leg drops to the back of the neck while Masao was on the guardrail, followed by two while Masao's head is on the ropes. Kenta Van Damme, yeah. <laughs> it, Kabashi was like just all about that leg drop, just mm. in the kind of, okay, your neck's on something. I'm going to try and squish your neck even further into it. Um, keep in mind, Rob Van Dam did work a lot of tours of All Japan for wrestling yes, in this he time did. period. Yeah. So. Yes, he did. And Bubba was like, what are you doing? Buy some boots. Because <laughs> he was barefoot when he showed up, wasn't he? He yeah. was barefoot in WCW then. Barefoot when he turned up in All Japan. And Bubba was like, you're going to need some boots, my friend. And uh, turned him on to the idea of footwear. Well, I think he, was, he wasn't going to be too safe barefooted in the ECW arena. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sickening spot number two for me was uh, they end up on the apron and Kobashi tries he hooks for the half Nelson suplex and Masao's like no I'm not having any of this elbows his way out and Tiger drivers him off the apron to the floor and Kobashi I would say I would say approximately 65 to 70 percent of him misses the mats entirely and he just splats <laughs> on the like it's Mick Foley says Cactus Jack stole the double arm DDT from Kenta Kobashi. Like this is Kenta Kobashi doing a, a Cactus Jack tribute bump almost. Again, it was the kind of like the sound it made as well as he hit the floor was just horrible. And the thing that made me burst out laughing was uh, referee Kyohei Wada spends a whopping 10 seconds making sure he's not dead before going over to Misawa and going like, come on, get up, get back in the ring. Come on, let's go. We've got a match to finish. Hurry up. Great. Yeah, ever the pro. Yeah, absolutely. Wada, so. Yeah, yeah. Not taking any of this, any of this shit. Um, I did notice he didn't seem to bother counting. Like uh, in modern New Japan, for example, this would be milked for the you know the nineteen and a half count out tees. Wada didn't even bother counting. He's like, he'll be back in when he's ready. <laughs> First of all, Kyoi Wada, greater referee than Red Shizuno will ever be, uh, and Jeff Baba, great, you know, better like psych match psychology booker than Ghetto mm. will ever be because Ghetto <laughs> loves milking that fucking 19 count. Like, yeah. uh, like yeah. he's a farmer, uh, you know, he's a farmer <laughs> depending on milk sales to, to make a living. I mean, um, if, if you just count up how many times that spot's used in say a G1 alone, it's, it'd be utterly ridiculous. 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 I did notice that when we went to uh, Royal Quest, the Royal Quest weekend that happened recently, Mark, um, they did that spot. They got it out of the way in the first match of night one and then never did it again for the rest of the weekend. Yep. Um, so they get back inside. We come, we're coming towards the finish now, I guess, and they get back inside. Misawa puts the stop to a strike exchange with a spinning back elbow that to me looked like it could take down a horse. And then a couple of, uh, and then channeling uh, his lucha days, uh, uh, a couple of what I called weird flip leg drops uh, to the back of um, Kabashi's head. I love that because it, for me, it was a case of Misawa, who's been on the, up till this point, been on the end of a lot of big moves from Kabashi. Mm. So Kabashi had hit him with a DDT, hit him with a released dragon suplex of all things, hit him yes. with the orange crush, hit him with the various lariats. So Masao's trying to get back into it and it's like literally a case of, I need to keep Kabashi down for as long as possible to recover. So he's just literally throwing all of his body weight at Kabashi, just trying to keep him down just for long enough yeah. to get his wind back. Yeah, as WH said earlier, it's it's opportunistic. Yeah. You're saying how uh, this match is heading towards a finishing stretch. For me, I would say from about 20, 25 minutes, this match has been nothing but an escalating finishing stretch. 
Yeah, there. I mean, there are at almost any point in the in the final fifteen to seventeen minutes of this match, like it could be over. You're right. You're dead right. Yeah. Even about the twenty odd minute mark, that's the first time that the crowd really buys a near fall with uh, mm. the second of two backdrop suplexes. Uh, mm. So the the thing about this match to me, and I'll say it later on, is it's an absolute battle of attrition. Is the best way to describe it. It's a if. It's a fantastic example of a wrestling match that's all about two wrestlers just trying to wear each other down. And it's a case of who's got the most left in the tank. Mm. And we, that really comes to the fore in the, the final few minutes. Yeah. Sickening spot number three, Tiger Driver, Kujuich, uh 91, drops uh, poor Kent Kobashi oh. right on the crown of his head. I did not feel good for him again at that moment. Uh, he just about kicks out. They end up in opposite corners, and as Misawa charges in, Kobashi hits a desperation lariat and collapses, and he drags himself over, and he like he pretty much just about gets a hand on Misawa's chest. Two count, another great sequence. Uh, Misawa goes hell for leather with rolling elbows, getting a two count. Same with a tiger suplex. Uh, Dizzy Kobashi's back on his feet, gets dropped with a running elbow for another near fall, and they... They do one final collision with an absolutely shattered Kabashi giving a half-hearted lariat and Misawa hitting a stronger elbow and Kabashi is stunned. And as we said, opportunistic Misawa seizing his moment, lays in three very quick elbows and gets the pin. Um, I've had a great time talking about this match, but I have struggled for the best part of a week to kind of collate my thoughts about it and like 90s All Japan in general. So the best, this is going to be a laboured Brian Alvarez style analogy here. So please bear with me. The best thing I could come up with is it's jazz. So I know I'm hearing skilled musicians play their instruments well, and there are tons of people that love going to jazz clubs and love jazz. It's just a different, less structured rhythm than I'm used to. And it doesn't quite work for me. I'm saying that having nominated two 1990s All Japan matches myself for this project. Uh, I, I guess that means like even though jazz isn't strictly my bag, there's still a couple of tunes that make my toes tap. And it's funny, like talking about it now has kind of made me enjoy the match more. I think... Does that make sense in any yeah, kind of way? I don't think this is a match you can watch in a vacuum. Like to to appreciate this is the other thing, which is something else about this project is like we basically have to, for the most part, have to parachute in and watch these matches in a vacuum. Yeah, um, and like part of I think part of a must see match is a true must see match is it kind of has to stand up in that way, and you can go into it without the context of all the history we talked about earlier. I think ninety seven, their you know their ninety seven match would be better. Sure. In the, with that sure. criteria in mind, I think with this match, like especially with the finish, because he does not beat him with the Tiger Driver ninety one. He doesn't mm -hmm. beat him with a rolling elbow. He beats him with the basically a combo of elbows. Yeah, and which you don't really see from Masao. You and you, I, I think most people would be surprised that this is the finish to the match. And in any context, whether they're familiar with Masao's style of yeah, wrestling and his, yeah, his I've got to say, I've got to say, I, I was, uh, and like, I would have. Uh, with with my with a wrestling like book ahead on like i would have capped it at the running elbow that happens before that final collision like that the last two count before the before they go into the finish like that and i think the crowd would have accepted that as well but like i i 
even saying that, I get that this is a different style and they do this kind of thing here. I think if you watch this with, you know, like say you watch the last three singles mm. matches between these guys, yeah. this this finish would be like, I understand what they did. And maybe for a lot of people be like, I I I like it. Oh, it's great because mm. I didn't see I, I mm. saw something different than I saw in the last three matches that they had over the last four years mm. against one another. Um I think at this point, 1998 is also a point where Baba you know, is and Masawa and the rest of them are trying to do things differently in the sense of like, we're not just going to rely on big bomb finishers anymore. Those yeah. can be like to pop the crowd with near falls and false finishes, but we can win with, uh, you know, Kawada can win with a, you know, well-timed Enzigiri or a Gamangiri to the face or the back yeah. of the head. Mm -hmm. Kobashi can hit like uh, a, a lariat out of nowhere to win. Uh, not even the burning Galeria, just like a regular Galeria to win a match. And in this case, Masawa used a combo of elbows yeah. rather than the rolling elbow or any of his head dropping maneuvers to defeat Kobashi to win the triple crown yeah. again from him. Mm -hmm. But it, it's also the story of like, this is a long-term story like that Masawa wants to eventually make Kobashi, you know, the ace of this company. If the split mm -hmm. into Noah doesn't happen, I think by 2001, you know, Kobashi would have got his big singles win over Masawa. It's because, mm. you know, it doesn't happen until 2004 in Noah because of the injuries that Kobashi suffers and mm. all the, you know, ailments he has, you know, with cancer, what have you, that he does get his final, his first, you know, big, big, big win. In, mm. It's in Noah. It's not in all Japan. It's not for the Triple Crown. But that would have happened, I think, in 2001 if the split never happened. And, and but this is like, well, we're not going to do it right now. We're still on that road that destination to mm. get Kobashi to that level where he is going to become the ace of this company. And I can move myself down a little further down to be more of a semi main event wrestler and more of a tag wrestler and insert myself into champion carnival and triple crown title matches for, and then put over, I think also like Masawa is like looking at Akiyama, June Akiyama at this point yeah. thinking this guy, this guy's, oh, he's next. And again, like mm. I think his ascension to the top would have been quicker if the Noah split did not happen. Mm. Um, I will cap off here and then I will hand over to Mark for his thoughts. The other thing I thought of was like, it was kind of like trying to read an article in French about a subject with which I'm familiar. So like I learned French at school and I know what a lot of the words mean and I can fill in the blank with some get work, guesswork, but it's not quite coming together and I know I'm missing something. And I kind of, I kind of want to go on a bit of a quest throughout this project to see like, if I get more of this style as we go on and enjoy it more as we go on. As I said, I've nominated like two 90s All Japan matches. I've nominated two Misawa matches um, for this project. Uh, so I know like I like some of the stuff they do. This one, again, yeah, it was like, I, I know this is good, but it wasn't quite clicking for me. And I think you might be right about it not being the right match from their timeline to just be dropped into and and, and watch as a, as like a, a standalone a standalone piece i will say though there was a lot of it i did like like the nature of the storytelling um the 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 counters of the counters uh the the desperation stuff like the desperation lariat stuff is mm. uh, mark and i talked about this before like that's something we both love in in, in wrestling um yeah i think i don't know 
The problem is not with the the problem is not with the promotion or the wrestlers. The problem most definitely lies with me, and I'm very interested to find out as over the course of the all Japan matches we are watching in the course of this podcast, like seeing if I can overcome overcome that hurdle, if you like. Um, yeah, Mark, what do you got? So usually when I watch these uh, uh, matches before we do a podcast, is I'll watch it. I do the same thing that Kieran does. I'll watch it without taking any notes, and then I'll go back and watch it again and take the notes so that I can kind of work out how I feel about the match before I have to pay too much attention and keep stopping and starting. Mm. And I enjoyed this a hell of a lot more on my second watch while taking the notes than I did the the first time. There was just something about, I think part of it was the kind of, because I'm paying more attention, I'm spotting all the little elements. And because I've seen it before, I kind of know what's happening so I can see what's coming. And I I utterly appreciate what they've done here. It's like, uh, as Kieran said, a lot of the things that Kieran liked, I really liked. It's like, I loved how Kabashi was constantly trying to stop Masao from getting control. The bit's like Kabashi with that uh, sleeper out of nowhere simply to stop Masao's momentum. That is a fantastic spot and more people should be stealing this. There's lots of brilliant stuff, not in the finishing. It's in fact in the first 20 minutes, there's stuff where I'd say to young wrestlers, sit and watch how Kabashi tries to control Misawa. Sit and watch like these little details and that. And that's the kind of thing that anyone can do and anyone can throw in their matches. But if you do it right, it does a fantastic job of telling the story and you don't have to do the more, not dangerous, but the more um, high difficulty level spots with the head drops towards the end. Um, I just, I'm tempted to watch this again the third time without taking notes and seeing how I feel about it then. Yeah, I think I might do the same thing, yeah. Because I just, there's so, it's the kind of, you can see why people love this era of all Japan from the sheer level of detail and the storytelling they're telling. Mm. It's like Kieran, it didn't initially click for me on the first view, but it's a brilliant battle of attrition. I'm just not sure if I would say that this on its own is must-see if there are other matches between Misawa and Kabashi that I think are much more must-see than this because in addition of the 97 match, we'll be covering their their Noah match, their big Noah match. So I appreciate so many different elements of this match. It's just something about the whole didn't initially click. Uh, but I'm so much more passionate after going through and talking about it. And, yeah, right. And watching the details <laughs> than I was actually sitting down and watching it in the first place. Yeah, it's funny. I think it's like dissecting a film with your friends after you've seen it. And like in the theatre, you're kind of like, yeah, that was all right. You know, that was fine. That was okay. And then in the car on the way home, like you suddenly realize all the bits you really liked about it and the details you you picked up on, I think. That's how it feels to me for sure. I would recommend if you're going to watch this a third time, watch the January 20th, 1997 match. I was thinking, what I was thinking about was like when I watch, when I'd have my next watch of this, I might do it after we've watched some more, like later on this project, after we've covered some more matches between these two. Yeah, mm. for sure. I think you'll get a deeper appreciation for especially the finish of of this match sure. but like you know, to a point mark makes like if i was talking to young wrestlers on the indie scene especially people who are paired together a lot by by promoters mm. is like you should you should study like 
Kawada Misawa and Kobashi Misawa, not for their big bombs or anything like that, but, but for like how they, they, they progress. We, we talk about mm, yeah. in this era of like wrestling fandom, about callbacks. Oh, that's yeah. a callback to this. That's a callback to that. They were doing callbacks without being callbacks. If, if you mm. understand what I'm, what I'm trying to say here is yeah. like, these are natural progressions of like, okay, we did this in this match. Like, I'm not stupid enough to fall for that again. Yeah. I'm not going to mm. fall for that. I'm going to just do something different. Like the, the spot where Masao is going to go for that back elbow, but Kavash just keeps barreling into him and makes that, yeah. you know, that sick uh, squelching sound yeah. that, that you did not like Aaron. <laughs> but some, something like that, that's something that young wrestlers who face each other a lot on, on the indie should do for different promotions, because especially if all of this being taped and televised now and streamed, mm. people mm. are going to be aware of this. Oh, they did that match in this this american promotion that they took over to to the uk or they yeah. did in mexico or something like that that's that doesn't work anymore you gotta do things differently and go back go back to like don't go back five years go back 20 years and watch the stuff that that inspired the people that you were inspired by yeah don't don't watch the matches to learn to figure out how to do the moves don't watch the matches to figure out how to do the match watch the matches to figure out how to have a rivalry yes how to have different matches with the same person yeah. That's one thing that's really amazing about all Japan of the nineties is the, the genuinely amazing rivalries that, mm. that have developed mm. over a 10 year period. Um, I would say personally, like Kawada versus Masawa is, is a much better rivalry has more emotional resonance for me, mm. but with Kobashi, it's more about his journey as, as a, as a main event wrestler with Kawada, it's more about his journey to finally beat Masawa, <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. We we do cover uh one uh Misawa versus Kawada singles match. Uh can which you will guess be... which one it is? <laughs> We've also got the the biggest, most famous of the Holy Demon Army versus Kabashi and Misawa matches. Uh so yeah, it funny actually, just having a little look at things and uh, we've got a, a Kawada match coming up that doesn't involve Misawa, and I've seen it, and I'm really looking forward to Kieran's take on this one. Is it from Hustle? No, it's ah, not. Ah, damn it, I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah, uh, WH is very disappointed uh, at hear Kieran's comments there about Hustle. No, it <laughs> involves uh, my uh, my favourite uh, grumpy veteran, uh Janichiro Tenryu. Uh, I'm really uh, looking forward to that one coming interesting. up soon. Great pairing. Interesting. Anytime Kawada got in with Tenryu, yeah. Um, so I should just... No, I, actually, it was when they were teaming. When they were teaming? Oh, is this the, this, the Hanson-Gordy tag match? Yeah. Oh, that's a great match too. The psychology is mm. off the charts. But just to just so we don't before I forget, so following this match, oh, they, yes. would fa they would face each other four more times, June 11th. 1999, uh, Triple Crown title match. Misawa beats him in 40 minutes, 40 seconds. Um, he's the defending champion. Uh, April 11th, 2000, champion carnival semifinals. Kobashi beats Mitsuhara Misawa in 26 minutes. And that's, so his, I, I, is that, that's his first victory. It's the first victory over him. Wow. And then uh, they, they, of course, and not they won't have another match against each other until 2003 this is mm -hmm. of course march 1st the one that you're going to be talking about yeah the mm -hmm. ghc title match between kobashi and masao with you know like we talked about the the tiger driver off the apron yeah. onto the floor this yeah, also yeah. has a crazy not an apron spot but a ramp spot yes to the floor yes. if you it, know it if you a, see this match it is a camera shot that is burned into my memory yes it's the first thing i think of when i think of this match yeah and then they would have one more match um uh, before Misawa 
you know, untimely death. And that's December 24th, uh, like on a Noah special Christmas show. They're yeah. in the opening match. They go to a 10 minute time limit <laughs> draw. And that would be, I, I somehow like in, in, in like hindsight, think that's a really fitting end to their, uh, yeah. you know, in-ring rivalry mm. is this time limit draw. It's kind, of, a kind of like a like a like a sweet, light-hearted end to yeah. like a pretty like a big rivalry. Yeah, because it also kind of makes it work because it's it's ended on Kabashi has that big moment, that big moment at the end, and it's not ruined by like having a. It doesn't mean as much, but Kabashi then loses. So, yeah. as you're right, capping it on a draw actually really helps in hindsight. Hmm. WH, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. It has been a pleasure, uh, and I have been thoroughly educated. Thank you so much. The floor is yours to tell uh, our listeners about any projects you're going on, how they can find you on the internet if you want to be found, all of that good stuff. Well, I well, thank you for, first to Mark for for inviting me to be on this podcast, and thank you to you, Karen, as well. Um, I had a blast talking about this. But and if and if you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more about me talking about uh, classic all Japan of the '90s and sometimes into sometimes venture into the 2000s and, and sometimes into the the 80s as well uh come to postwrestling.com and listen to the long and winding railroad it's show dedicated to all that we've had some amazing guests i think we're going to you know, we're closing up our second year of doing it and and mark's been on the show yep. uh maybe kieran will have you on in, in 2023 <laughs> uh we've had you know like it's a big it's apparently a, a very popular show among among wrestlers themselves we've had eddie kingston be a guests on the show uh you know and, and we've we've had like you know john pollock's been on there uh you know all the you know uh, jp hulan from the grapple spotlight's mm -hmm. been on there and, and just ton of fun conversations about wrestling that i love so that's always good if also if you want to hear more about my current takes on uh current wrestling uh, check out post perez a, a almost monthly show that i do with john pollock usually over at postwrestling.com covering the, the kind of the big news in, in japanese wrestling at the time as well as i do a show not about wrestling at for the post wrestling patreon the cafe as it's called it's called uh, mcu later and we talk about disney properties uh featuring marvel characters uh in uh, on their streaming platform or in cinemas and we just wrapped up uh our series talking about the she hulk attorney at law tv show we also talked just recently about the werewolf by night uh, kind of a halloween special on disney plus and we're going to do our big black panther 2 uh, wakanda forever review coming up in in, in november and then we're going to wrap up the year talking about the guardians of the galaxy christmas special these are always fun conversations uh that usually myself and waiting have and uh yeah and, but those are only available on the the patreon for post wrestling fantastic as for us you can find this show uh at Musty Matches on Twitter. Uh, link tr.ee slash matches is where you can find all the links to subscribe to this show uh, and uh, Mark's writings at Post and all other kinds of stuff like that. Uh, we have a second show about uh, DDT Pro Wrestling called DDTeach, which is at DDTeachPod on Twitter. Our latest show is a profile of current champion Kazusada Higuchi. I am at Kieran Edit and Mark is monkey underscore buckles. Fantastic. Next week, a sharp left turn in the world of wrestling. Uh, we are going back one more year to 1997. Uh, we are going to be talking Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker in the first Hell in a Cell match from Bad Blood 1997. And our special guest will be the one and only our official WWF correspondent, 
Matty Edwards is going to be here to talk about that match with us. Uh, cannot wait. That is going to be a fun time. Thank you, WH, again for joining us. Thank you to everybody for listening, and we will catch you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.